This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of Business by the Numbers. I'm your host, Hunt Demarest, CPA with Parmelis & Associates. My firm specializes in helping auto repair shops understand more about their finances, bookkeeping, taxes, payroll, and everything else in between. One of the things that comes up a lot with a lot of my shops, especially recently here, is getting in another location, You know, taking it from one location to two, two locations to three, and even more. What I'm going to be talking about today is what I'll call a crash course on going multi-location. So this is mainly targeted at people that are thinking about going multi-location, are in the process of looking, or maybe it's crossed your mind and you just want to say, Hunt, what should I be doing? I'm not really there yet, but what are the things that I need to be thinking about? And I'm going to split this into kind of three parts here. So the first part is going to be kind of the pre-deal stuff. What should we be looking for? How do we identify areas that we could possibly invest in? Second part of that is, all right, now we have a prospect on this. What kind of financials do we look at? How do we analyze this business? How do we see the health of this business? How do we see if the number that they're asking is a fair price? The last part is going to be, all right, we found a deal. We've agreed on a price, and now we're moving forward on this. What should we be doing here? How do we allocate the purchase price? How do we set up this organizations? What are some different options here that we have? Do we operate under the same umbrella as our first location? What are the positives and negatives of that? So we'll be going through all of those in the next couple of weeks here, but today going to just be start with the basics, the backstory. How do we start this process and how do we start identifying hot areas to invest? Before we get into that, a quick word from our partners who make business by the numbers possible. You call, you text, then you have to track what everyone said to a customer. Not anymore. With DVX, every detail ends up on one thread. Even better, DVX has a messenger platform that works like Facebook's. Tap into the SMS of the future at GetShopware.com. As a shop owner, it's important to invest in the right tools to help your business grow. Repair Shop of Tomorrow, an endorsed Napa Auto Care program, is committed to helping the whole shop reach its full potential. Please visit them at RepairShopOfTomorrow.com. So we're going to be talking today on what to look for when we're trying to identify a shop, you know, whether it's physically finding the shop, how do we go about it? What are the options there to what kind of things should we be looking about this shop? Non-financial, you know, some other pre-qualifiers or things that we should just be identifying when we're looking at business opportunities or second location opportunities. But before we want to get into that, I'm not going to go into a ton of the detail on here, but one of the things here that I want to stress And the reason I say this is, you know, I've never started a second location. I've never started a repair shop. And so a lot of this stuff I learned from people that have done it before, right? Just like anything in the world, you're going to have a lot easier time if you ask people that have already walked those steps. Hey, what mistakes did you make? What do you wish that you would have done differently? And these are great things that you should be already talking to other multi-shop owners. Hey, if you were going to go back, you now own eight locations. What did you wish that you knew when you bought your second location? Right. Learn from their success. Learn from the fifth. Learn from their failures, and learn what really made them a a successful business as they have now. One of the things, though, or a couple of these things that I see come up a lot that are just going to be basic things that you need to be doing right now before you even think about doing a second location. So, if you have not already fine tuned in your existing shop, then you're not ready for another one. 
You know, and what I mean by that is let's say that you don't have the efficiencies down, you don't have the proper pay plans down for your staff. You're still working through the details and trying to improve your shop on a major level, then you're not ready for a second location, right? You need to have the shop in place. I don't mean fine-tuned and everything is going exactly how it wants to go or how you want it to go. Most people are going to never get to that point, but I mean, you have a good core there. You've got good profitability. You've got good process and procedures in place and the business is doing pretty well and you're not having to always micromanage that, right? Those are the kind of people that are ready to go move on to another location because if you're starting to work on your original one, you just physically don't have the time to take on the you know responsibility of adding another whole business to this. It's going to at least double your time. And in the short term, I'd probably argue more than double your time just because of all the things that you're going to have of just trying to get this business up and going the way that you want to see this. Another thing that I see a lot of people do, and I think it's a really cool idea, is a lot of people, if they know that the second location or even you know possibly more than that is imminent, they're always overstaffed. And what I mean by that is, hey, maybe you normally run three technicians, but you got four in there. You don't really quite have the work for it, but you're kind of having one guy there as an extra. Maybe he can be a shop foreman at a new location. Maybe he could go and be the lead technician over there. But always making sure that you have a little bit more people than you need to, because if you buy another business, there's probably either going to be people that immediately leave. You know, we see that a lot. Turnover is huge. They're not going to take a chance with a new owner. They're just going to go find somewhere else because they've all probably got job offers. Another thing is some of those people that are going to stay there, you might not want them there, right? If Think about if you're an owner of a business that's looking to sell a shop in two years, are you going to fire your A tech if you know that he does good work, but he's terrible to deal with? Probably not because you're going to say, I got two more years of this guy. I'm going to write it out. He's going to get me some good numbers. And that's the new owner's problem. We see that a lot. We see a lot of these kind of hangover issues that come and the previous owner didn't want to deal with it. Now it's your responsibility and you have to. Um, This is a really tight labor market right now. So if you're going to go try and find someone off the street, as you probably found in your existing location, it's tricky to do so. But by being slightly overstaffed, like I was talking about there, you could say, hey, you know what? Nice for you to hang around for a little bit. We're going to move in another direction. You can take your toolbox. You can go home you have another person to step right in there and pick up where you left off and move on with your life. And then the last one on here is process and procedures. You have to have process and procedures in place and followed at your original location. A lot of times you hear people talk about this. Hey, all of my locations have the same culture. They have the same deliverables. I want a client to have the same experience whether they go to location one or location 10. How can you possibly do that and replicate what you have in your existing location if you can't even really put into words or show what it exactly is that you do in your existing location? So be careful on that. Make sure you have those standard operating procedures and make sure that those procedures are followed. You know, process and procedures are only as good as what you're actually going to do. So enough of uh, those kind of tips and tricks here. Let's get into really kind of the meat of what we're looking for when we're trying to identify a shop. So starting at the very basics here, how do we find opportunities for sale? How do you look for another location? Where should you be looking? Who should you be asking, et cetera? So the quickest and easiest one here is talking to a broker, right? If you talk to a business broker, you know, there's large ones, you know, Sunbelt's a big one. Um, There's regional brokers, you know, and there's small, very local, you know, possibly city or county level brokers. Talk to them though. 
right? See what's out there. See what's for sale. That's going to give you a lot of information. And the thing about it from a buyer's point of view, there's no downside to buying from a broker. The broker fee all comes from the seller. So talk to brokers, try and see what's out there and see if there's any opportunities. Another one is, you know, talk to the vendors that you're using. You know, this is probably the number one place that I see people finding opportunities. Usually a lot of times people aren't maybe organized enough or really committed enough to sell to go through the whole process of listing it with a broker, but you'll have them talking to their delivery driver saying, you know what, I got another year left and I'm just going to move on to this place, right? And so those kind of people talk and you talk to the tool truck drivers, your parts delivery people, whoever it might be, and they might say, hey, you need to go talk to Greg down the street. He's about done here. You know what? I think that he'd probably sell if someone was to approach him. Boom, you have an opportunity, you have a number, and you can move on from there. Another one, too, you can start driving around, seeing if any are advertised, right? See if you see a for sale sign. See if you see signs that they might be putting this thing up for sale. Not as many cars in a park, parking lot, etc. Now, the thing about this is if you're going to find something that's for sale by driving around, I would have to argue that the majority of those are going to be closed down. Doesn't necessarily mean that ad is a bad thing, but it's something to keep in mind. And we'll talk about a little bit later in this episode of the positives and negatives about buying a kind of clean slate, closed down business. The last uh, really kind of big way that you can find opportunities is to just start calling prospective shops that you would be interested in buying. This is probably the rarest one. This is the one that the most people are probably scared about because you're literally cold calling people, trying to talk to the owner and trying to ask him if he's willing to sell his business. So I have only seen this really done a couple of times, but it's been effective because they are able to go after shops that they've already kind of pre-qualified. Not looking at shop that's already available and seeing if it works for you. Instead, going the opposite way and looking around your kind of geographic aerial that you're looking and saying, all right, this shop, this shop, this shop, this shop, this shop. I think those all kind of check the boxes as long as the numbers are right of areas or shops that I would like to own. And so then what you do is you pick up the phone, you call the shop owner and say, hey, you know, tell them exactly who you are. Hey, my name's Hunt Demrest. I own a shop down on Main Street. Interested in possibly buying your shop if you're looking to sell it. You know, if not now, maybe three years, maybe five years, just kind of put it out there. I've seen your shop around. I really think that it's a well-run shop. You guys have a great reputation and I'd love to buy it if it was ever for sale. And you're going to get one of three answers. They're going to say, no, I'm never going to sell this. Go to hell. And why would you even call me? The one, next one is going to be somewhere in the middle. Eh, you know what? I've been thinking about it. Maybe I'm just not really sure right now. You know, maybe check back in a year. Maybe check back in five years. You know, I, you never know. If I need you, I'll call you. Right. So kind of a no, no, thank you. Maybe type situation. And the last one you're going to get is you're going to say, yeah, you know what? If the price is right, I probably would sell this. Boom, you're in the door, right? You've opened it up. If someone has kind of that inclination, then they're going to at least go down through the process here. And, you know, we'll kind of get into this more in a second episode, but you can kind of put some numbers out there to see if you guys are even close. When you started in this business, did you really think that cars would be driving themselves and that people would be buying cars online without test driving them? I don't think any of us did, yet that's exactly what is going on. On the repair side, the auto industry is changing fast. Customers expect quick answers and proof that they need the repairs that you recommend. They want to pay you while buying a coffee, then rate you on Yelp after picking up their keys. So why stay in the past? 
A shop owner named Carolyn asked herself the same question, so she created an online shop management system that automates the stuff you do over and over again. She and her team added texting in every step in the process from booking your appointment to posting that stellar review. They learn from their customers just like you learn from yours, and it's the system that's leading the industry into a bright future. Find out more about this and other things at GetShopware.com. As a shop owner, it's important to invest in the right tools to help your business grow. Repair Shop of Tomorrow, an endorsed Napa Auto Care coaching and marketing program, is committed to helping the whole shop reach its full potential by utilizing their industry-leading learning management system. Repair Shop of Tomorrow have produced over 50 learning modules to provide continuing education for shop owners, service advisors, and technicians. Their learning management system allows all employees to learn exactly what the owner is learning on their own time. Training modules such as Repair Order Workflow, Advisor Huddle, Business Flowchart, and Driving Profitability helps ensure everyone in the shop knows what the right looks like and understand their responsibilities inside the organization. When the team is all operating with the same playbook, the results are remarkable. For more information about their programs, please visit them at repairshopoftomorrow.com. Now that you have a prospective shop, maybe you found it from a broker, maybe you had that person that said, sure, you know what, if the price is right, I will sell this. Now, what do we need to be looking in for? Kind of broke these into about five or six different categories here of kind of the key things that I'm looking. This is not an exhaustive list. Obviously, you want to look around the shop. You want to see their physical setup and stuff like that. These are kind of the basics of what I would really say. These are the key things that you need to be doing here. So first one is location, 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 right? Everything else on here that we talked about is something that you can physic that you can change. Location is the only thing that you can't physically change to a certain degree, right? And so one of the two big things we talk about here is, is it close to your shop? Is it far away from your shop, right? Do you want it to be 100 miles away or do you want it to be 100 feet away? Most likely somewhere in between there. So the nice thing about having something close is if it's close enough to drive, then you're going to be able to go to and from it pretty easily and also or your employees if you need to swap some stuff around. I have some people that actually have something that is extremely close to their first location and they run it as kind of a second location, but almost like a satellite location. And so instead of having, you know, not buying that shop that's two blocks down the street because you're just going to be pulling from the same customer base, what they do is they buy that shop as well. A lot of these guys will have all the customers go into one location and then they will kind of ferry cars between the two shops. Some other people kind of split what their work is. Hey, all of the inspections, all of the oil change will go at this. Any of the major work is going to be going to this location. So location is is one of the big things here that we need to think about because it's something that we only get to do once. Now, one of the things about being farther away is you're not going to be pulling from the same customer base. Right. If you're over 25 miles away, no matter where you are, you're going to be pulling from a completely different customer base, completely different opportunity and not kind of robbing Peter to pay Paul by trying to advertise and get new customers to your next location. Now, the downside of being farther away is obviously how far do you want to travel? Right. If you're going to be going from location to location, you probably don't want something that's two hours away. Not going to be very realistic for you to be at both locations very frequently. And then another thing on it is it's not going to be very likely to be able to use employees from one location at another location. General average that I see or a general thing that I see for most shops 
is something that is probably 15 to 20 minutes away, depending on where you live. If you're in a more rural area, probably close to 30 minutes. If you're in a more densely populated area, then 15 minutes might be a lifetime, right? And so it kind of varies where you are. But generally, you want someone to be a drive away where it's probably not going to be poaching any of your major customers, maybe a couple ones on the outside, but still also close enough that it's easy for the owner to travel back and forth. And it's easy enough to have your employees go back and forth if you need to. Last thing here on location, obviously, to think about, just like when you bought your first location, do you want to be on a main road? Do you want to be in a back business park, right? Main road's going to allow you to have a lot more frontage, a lot more free advertising just by cars driving by. A back business park is probably going to be a little bit cheaper, but you're going to have to advertise in a way to get people to come back there because it's not something that people, it's not a place that people are normally going to just go wander around and drive through. So think about the location, think about where it is, think about how close it is to your shop, where you live, where your customers live, where your employees live, because we can't make a change once you've decided on that. So speaking of customers, speaking of clientele here, what do we want to do, right? We got to make sure that what we want to do matches up with the shop or else we're really going to have a tricky time trying to convert all these customers. Do they do general repair, right? What kind of stuff do they work on? Is that all what you want to work on in kind of your wheelhouse? Do they do Euro? Is it the certain marquees that you want to see? Do they not do as many? Do they do too many? How close are they to what you want to build here? And then the other thing here to think about is what kind of clients are they attracting? You know, one of the big mistakes that I see a lot is people find these really cheap shops and they look at it and they say, wow, there are so many easy fixes here, right? Their labor rate is $75. The going rate in town is at least $130. Even if I go up to $100, I'm going to make a ton of money. Hey, their parts margin is 20%. I know that I can triple that. You know, other things are trying to compare the shop that you're doing now to this prospective shop. Now, I've seen this happen a couple of times. And what ends up happening is they go in there and they raise their prices as they should, but they lose a ton of customers. And I've seen situations, you know, over the long haul, they lose pretty much all of the customers. The reason is, is because you can't convert price shoppers. Right. If someone is coming to the shop that you're buying because they're the cheapest guy in town, then they don't care about your warranty. They don't care about the quality of parts that you, they use. They have one focus and that focus is price. If you're no longer the cheapest guy in town, they're going to leave. Right. And so take that into consideration when you're not only valuing a shop, but looking at it of saying, am I going to be able to keep this customer base or am I going to be rinsing and repeating and trying to replace this customer base? And the last one that's kind of related to customer base as well is do they do fleet work, right? Is the fleet work a large majority of their overall sales? Something to think about. Um, we're not going to get into the finer details here, but some people like to do fleet work. Other people don't like to do fleet work. Obviously, most fleet work is less profitable, but higher volume than a conventional retail customer. And there's fleet work that could be done right. And there's fleet work that can be done wrong as well. But the big thing here that I want to say is, you know what, don't go into a shop that's doing 1.5 million and be surprised on the first day when 35% of their sales are to fleets and you hate dealing with fleets. Kind of stuff we should be looking for, kind of stuff we should be asking. Next thing on here is reputation. What kind of reputation does this shop have? You know, obviously we're going to look up their Google reviews. We're going to look up their Yelp reviews. We're going to see what we're dealing with here. Not only is this going to give us kind of an insight onto the value and kind of the trajectory of this business, it's also going to tell you if you do end up buying the shop, what you need to do in the future or some things to think about. So if the reputation is good, then a lot of people like to keep that continuity, 
right? If they're branded as classic auto repair and they have a really good reputation, they've been in the community for 40 years, might not be the best idea to come in there and completely rebrand and completely change anything. A lot of those kind of situations that I see of my shops that do this is they'll actually go in there and they'll buy it and they won't tell anyone anything. They want from an outsized point of view to make it look exactly the same. People have enjoyed it before, they'll enjoy it now and everything is good. The other option though is if the reputation is bad, right? If people don't go there, people have lost trust in this, there's been some bad dealings with them, then that is a great opportunity to do a major overhaul, right? Repaint the building, put a new name on the sign, put under new ownership, whatever it is, you want people to be able to say, hey, you know what? I had a bad experience at that place, but look, this is a completely different uh, you know, crew. This is a completely different ownership. Let's give them another shot and let's see if this will work this time right? So think about that. Is it a good reputation? Is it a bad reputation? And what you can do to work with that going forward. Next thing on here is physical space, right? It seems like a simple one, but you need to make sure that the physical space is enough size to operate what you want, right? If it's too small, then you're going to get in there and you're going to outgrow this thing, or maybe you're going to be severely limiting your growth, right? If you look at this and you're saying, man, this is in a perfect area, it's got the right type of clientele. There's no other shops in the area. This is going to be perfect for me. Now, if you go into the shop and you say, all right, I'm going to be able to do 3 million. Look at all this. Look at this huge neighborhood outside. And it's a thousand square feet. You're going to have a hard time meeting your goals, right? So make sure that the space matches up to what you're trying to do. On the other side of it, if it's too big, then you're going to really have to really drive the sales, drive the profit in order to afford that. Right? The bigger the shop, the less room for error there is because you have such a higher cost of operating that on a monthly basis. So figure out what you want. Right, Build your dream shop in your head and make sure that the size of this business that you're looking at can support that. Another thing we need to be looking at is owner involvement. How active is the owner in the day-to-day -day business? Does he actually have a job in a place? Does he actually have duties there? Or is he the absentee owner? The reason why this is important is really two big reasons here. The first one is if customers are used to dealing with the owner, then does he really have the relationships with the customer or does the shop have the relationship? I've seen this time and time again. You go out and you buy this small shop that has a ton of opportunity and Steve's Auto Repair is actually owned, operated and written service by Steve. Customers love him, has got a very good reputation. And whenever they come in, they love talking to Steve, knowing that he's the owner, knowing that he cares and kind of giving his insight on everything. Now, it might be great for Steve and be able to have Steve have a very successful business, but if you go in and buy Steve's auto repair and Steve is not there anymore, what kind of hit do you think that that's going to do to these customers, right? We talked about the customers retaining those customers before, you know, with location and, let's see, and finding out that the right type of customers for you. But again, here, if, you, if someone has that relationship broken, they might be looking somewhere else and have no allegiance to come back to Steve's auto repair. Now, another thing about having the owner being active in the day-to-day -day operations of the business is it affects the profit of the business. And we're going to talk about this in the next episode of getting into the numbers, getting into the financials of how you evaluate a shop. But the general sense here is if Steve is the owner of the business, he's also writing service of the business, and he also fills in, he turns some wrenches sometimes, and he's paying himself $40,000 a year then it's going to really affect the profit of the business when we replace that with a true replacement cost. You know, if he's taking home $40,000 a year and he's wearing three hats, it might take you as the new owner $100,000 in salary just to replace what Steve was doing. 
That's obviously going to lower the income of what you're going to have when you go in and buy this shop. So keep that in mind. Does he involve? Does he get paid? How much is he getting paid? All of these things will be necessary when we talk about next week on a financial evaluating the you know, proper price for a shop. And the last one on here we're going to talk about this week is existing shop versus starting one from scratch. Right. I talked about this in the first part when you're trying to find a prospective shop. And if you find one that has a for sale sign on it, it's probably vacant. So the good thing about having a vacant shop, we're going to start here first, is that you have a clean slate, right? You can build it exactly how you want it. The only thing that you would be worried about there is the physical spot size correct, and you guys can operate what you want to do. Everything else is going to be starting from scratch. You can build the customers you want. You can pick on whatever you want to work on. You're going to be building your own reputation. Now, one of the other plus sides of this is you're going to be able to get it for cheaper, right? It doesn't have a premium on it. It's only going to be a real estate sale plus any additional cost if they left some of the equipment in there. This is going to be the bare bones price that you get. Now, the downside of this is this is going to take a lot more money to get up and running. First and foremost, you're going to have to outfit this shop. It's not currently running. So even one that's only been vacant for a little bit, it's going to need some money put back into it to make sure the compressors are working, make sure the electricals uh, hooked up correctly, heating, etc. Another thing is you have no existing customers. So every single month that you're in business, you're going to be building and building and building and building and growing your customer base. When you go in there, you're going to be staffed to probably support $50,000 a month but you're not going to start with $50,000 on month one in most situations. Generally, for a shop starting from scratch, best case scenario, they're cash flow positive, meaning that the business is supporting itself, paying its own bills after month six. I've had a couple that have done quicker than that, but usually unique situations and not the norm. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, you know, I would say that 12 months, maybe nine to 12 months, it's probably the sweet spot where most people take to actually start making some money in a business that they started from scratch, right? And so that means for nine months, every single month, you're going to be losing money, whether it's in the beginning, a lot of money or a little, you know, less and less each month until you finally get to a break even, you're going to be burning through cash there. Now, on the other hand, if you buy an existing business, then theoretically, that should cash flow from day one. They're already operating in a profitable manner. You're going to step in, you're going to take over the business, and you're going to start running from there, start fine-tuning and tweaking. Unless you have to make major changes that is going to shock the sales or shock the profitability, you should be able to get into that with a lot less capital and be able to kind of limp in there and kind of tune it as you go. So got to figure out what you want to do. Buying an existing one is going to take less capital. It's going to be easier to do. Starting from scratch, you're going to really have to spend a lot more money, a lot more work on it. But at the end of the day, you're going to have exactly what you want. I would probably equate this to buying an existing house or building your own, right? Depending on how hard you search and how long you're willing to take, you might have to settle for a house if these one exactly like you want just doesn't exist or isn't for sale. Versus if you're very picky and you just want to have a house that's exactly like you want it, you could go out and build a house from scratch exactly the details, the colors, the layout that you want. Same exact thing when you're looking for shop. Different kind of different options here depending on what you exactly want to do. So that's enough for this week. You know, I wanted you to join me for next week when we kind of get into what we should be looking for. All right, we've identified this shop. Now I'm going to get into the details of what am I asking a seller? What kind of financials do I want to see? What, how many years of tax returns? And then in those financials, 
What are some red flags to look for? What is something that's going to make me concerned and ultimately maybe make a bank concerned as well? And then the following week, we're going to get into the final details of this on, all right, we've got a deal. How do we make this happen? How do we allocate this? How do we set this new entity up, you know, tax-wise, accounting-wise, liability-wise, and go from there. So thanks again for listening. Um, just like always, I really appreciate it. If you would like to share this with a friend, colleague, or just someone else that you think would find this interesting. If you have any questions, comments, or want to be a guest in the future, please shoot me an email at podcast at parmelis.com. So thanks again for listening to Business by the Numbers. I'm Hunt Demarest, and I will talk to you soon. You've been listening to Business by the Numbers with Hunt Demarest on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Hunt on your favorite podcast listening app. Let him know what you'd like him to cover. His email is in the show notes. Hunt is all for advancing the aftermarket.